Welcome to the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future in the auto supply chain. I'm Jan Griffiths, your co-host and producer. I'm Kathy Fisher, your podcast host. Our mission is to help automotive manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next in the auto supply chain. I'm Terry Onika, your podcast host. We'll be giving you best practices and key supply chain insights from industry leaders. Because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast. And today we're going to talk about a roadmap for your supply chain process. Yes. But before that, we're going to check in with our co-hosts, Kathy Fisher and Terry Onika. Terry, how you doing? I'm doing great. What have you been up to before you answer that question? Let's stay off of the work subject, shall we? Something personal. What have you been up to the past week? Well, my secondary stress outside of work is my goal every month is to run 100 miles. So what? You got to, oh, yeah, 100 crazy. miles. <laughs> I know. A lot of people think that's crazy. I know. But I am up to 65 as of today. So that's good. I love running. And I've, I've done every challenge so far, you know, 5K, 10K, half marathon. I did my first marathon last year. I did an ultra and I did a Ragnar just recently. So now I'm trying to wonder what my next big running challenge is too. I love that. Beat that, Kathy Fisher. What do you I, mean? I want to know what her management week? system is to be able to run a hundred miles a month. <laughs> yeah, insane. weekends. Weekends. Your weekends. <laughs> You're running all weekend. And on the weekends, yeah. And having friends available to run on the weekends because that helps the longer runs to go faster. Big time nice. helps to go faster. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I was going to tell you that I was all proud of myself because I walked nine miles. And now I feel like a total weakling. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. That's a good job. That's a really good job. I'm not well, a running stop. She's dedicated. I see. Anything. She walks every single morning. <laughs> yes, that's great. When we do the accountability lab in the mornings, I walk. I walk and, and do the meeting at the same time. I decided to switch to walking. I was running for a little while. Because I didn't start running until I was in my early 50s. And do you want to talk about a mindset shift? When I started running, I never saw myself as a runner. And I had never literally run anyway. I mean, I just didn't. It just wasn't my thing. Well, part of that's because I probably had massive high heels on at the time for most of my life. <laughs> but that aside, so my assistant in my last job, she could see I was going to Orange Theory all the time and running on the treadmill. And she said to me, you can run a race. And I was terrified. And I said, of course not. I'm not a runner. I, and, you know, when you when you tell yourself that, it, it takes hold in your mind and it becomes true. I am not a runner. So for decades, I've been telling myself I'm not a runner, therefore I cannot run a race. And she said, yes, you can. I've been looking at your stats because I would send her my stats from Orange Theory, right? She goes, I'm looking at your stats. You can run a race. She only bloody signed me up for a race, didn't she? She put the <laughs> papers on my desk and she goes, there, you're running a race. You're running a 5K. I've never been so scared in all my life. And she said, don't worry. Now, she's an Ironman competitor, right? I'll be there. I'll hold your hand, literally all my hands, every step of the way. And she did. And um, if I remember rightly, she put the medal on me and she said, see, you're a runner now. You ran a wow. race. Boom. <laughs> you know, that is so weird. That's my story too, Jan. I was 49, <laughs> started going to the gym, training on the treadmill to start up. My trainer time says, you got to run a 5K. And I'm like, I said, I will never run. I was adamant. You could ask anybody 
friends and family. I will never run one my response. So, but she was so sweet and kind and just encouraging. I'm like, oh, I gotta do this for her. So I did it. And my goal was just to not stop, you know, keep doing the race. And I did it. And I'm like, oh my God, I did that. They always say the 5K is the gateway drug. Cause then now, <laughs> whoa, I can run. I'm a, I'm a runner. I'm a runner, right? That's right. <laughs> the gateway drug. Oh, I love that. I love that. The gateway <laughs> drug. Yes. Yes. Well, talking about mindset and breaking barriers and breaking limiting beliefs that hold us back, how on earth are we going to transform this industry to look at supply chain differently? And what are we going to do to help them, Kathy Fisher? Yeah, well, we've actually laid out a roadmap to help. (laughs) So in our uh, work that we've been doing over the past several years, Terry and I, of course, did that Herculean task of mapping the IETF 169.49 and the MMOGLE and discovered the 24 essential supply chain processes. And when we recognized those, our next question was, okay, so we see where we need organizations in the automotive supply chain to focus. How do we get there? What is what are the what is the roadmap that we need to take? And so we developed a five step roadmap, and it begins with identifying the essential supply chain processes. Now we identified these twenty four common to the automotive industry in general from our experience working with OEMs, tier ones, tier twos, etc. Our first step in the roadmap is recognizing which processes, which of the twenty four essential supply chain processes, should we start with in defining our organization's supply chain management activities? And are there others? And, you know, just to be clear, our 24 essential supply chain processes are not all. They are the essential. That's the starting point. And they're the areas of pain (laughs) that we have seen time and time again in the automotive supply chain. They're, you know, oftentimes causal factors that are leading to measures of customer dissatisfaction, premium freight, you know, other problems that the industry is constantly plagued with. So keep in mind that there could be other supply chain processes that are at play, but those 24 get you started. So that's the first step in that roadmap. Terry, you want to talk about the second and third step? The next steps are assessing the competencies and then actually doing training. So on the assessing of the competencies, one of the things Kathy and I are really excited about is AIAG took our 24 essential supply chain processes and have turned that into a training that was just released in July. In the past, you would go right to MMOGLE. So that's assuming you understand supply chain. There was no basic. And now with all the new workforce churn, we definitely need to have a basic understanding. It's not just readily available for most people that may be hired in at the plant. So when people go back and look at their plants and they want that first step, like I just want them to have a base knowledge, understand these basic 24 principles of supply chain that is now available to them. And then the next logical step would be then to move on to a class like MMOGLE, where now I'm applying what I'm learning and I'm able to assess my plan to see how well I'm doing that. One of the things that we found when we identified those 24 essential supply chain processes and started talking with organizations, people who've been in the industry they knew the terminology. They knew the you know the vernacular of automotive, especially from a supply chain perspective. But there's a lot of new people coming in, as Terry mentioned, 
And there's definitely a unique language to supply chain in the automotive space. There's, you know, some common supply chain terms, but there's also quite a few that are unique. And so that's one of the things that this training that AIG just uh, released is going to definitely help new people coming into the industry. And we're hoping also the next generations, as they're coming up through their um, schooling, that as they look towards what industry they want to you know, really lean into as their career, they'll look to the automotive industry. And we've got some very specific uh, training associated with those 24 essential supply chain processes. And the, let's say the terminology of the way the automotive supply chain works itself as well. So that's, that's kind of like those steps two and three of the roadmap is really about the people, right? We get the processes, we get the people. <laughs> and then we have to really look at the strategy within the organization. So that's really the fourth step in the roadmap is organizations now having that perspective around those key supply chain processes and recognizing for their organization what needs to change in our organization to be more supply chain focused, to adopt that strategic supply chain view of their business. In some cases, it's going to mean like breaking down silos and really looking at how their organization is structured. In other cases, it might be connecting existing supply chain processes with quality processes or even other processes within the business. Ultimately, the idea is that organizations recognize money is made in the supply chain, not just on the shop floor, <laughs> that they bring in that mindset and they're operating from the standpoint of supply chain being a, the value stream of the business versus a cost center of the business. And when that transformation happens, now you're going to talk about investing in that value stream. And that leads to the fifth step on technology. Terry, tell them a little bit about technology. On the technology side, what's really important is once you understand your people, they understand their processes. Now it's a good time to apply technology, right? Because we're going to do it right. We've really got everybody down together. We understand where we're going. So it's just the last logical step. One thing that I do want to mention today that I'm hoping, Jan, may change this culture of people still relying on spreadsheets is the excitement around AI. And you can't really get AI on spreadsheets. It's going to be pretty darn hard to figure out an organization where all your data is at, number one, good luck on that one, or it's at stored on the plant drive, <laughs> you know, but trying to figure that out, it's going to be impossible. We need to have it someplace. We need to have systems so that we can get that data quickly so that we can apply the AI, because I'm hoping AI is going to be that, that reason that we finally start to really take technology more seriously in the business environment, in supply chain. It's going to make supply chain sexy again. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, it, it needs to be because, you know, organizations are all about profitability and they're always looking for profit on the shop floor or cutting costs in the procurement area or, God forbid, laying people off, <laughs> you know, making people redundant because they think that counts too much. But the truth of the matter is there's a lot more levers within the organization from a profitability standpoint that lie within the overall supply chain. And if you're managing that supply chain holistically, all the way from your supply sources straight through to your customer and even beyond perhaps with your customer, depending on what happens after you deliver product to the customer, if there's you know opportunities for recycling or remanufacturing, et cetera, as part of that, that circular supply chain, 
then organizations are missing all of these other opportunities for profitability if they're just focused on, you know, two or three levers inside the business. Kathy, do you think in the next version of IETF with all that's going on with AI, just in general, do you think they're ever going to mandate that you have to automate your quality management system? And what do you think are the issues right now that we suffer? Because we don't say you have to have an automated QMS system. I wanted wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, just to kind of put it into perspective, way back in the QS 9000 days, so here we're talking like 93 to about 2000-ish, I guess you would say, that standard, that automotive standard, did have requirements for some level of technology use or automation. So this was in the form of EDI, ASNs, um, and when we went to ISO TS-16949, which became a global automotive standard, those requirements got pulled out, mainly because ISO, the International Organization for Standardization, is really reluctant to push a certain level of technology because it's standards that can be adopted by any country um, anywhere around the world. And of course, we recognize that not everybody is at the same level technology-wise. However, when IETF 16949 came out in 2015, part of the reason why it was separated from ISO 9001, that ISO 9001 is the foundation, but we have these additional or supplemental automotive requirements, was to allow us to be able to put back in some of those requirements that are essential to the success of the automotive industry and its future, especially as we become more technology-focused. And unfortunately, without having those requirements mandated within the standards, organizations are reluctant sometimes to make the investment in technology. They maybe don't see the value of it. They'll you know, come around with, oh, well, technology is changing so fast and I don't want to make the wrong decision and it's so expensive. And But what we're suffering from that is tremendous. I mean, I just think about one example of suffering is in product traceability. And product traceability crosses all issues. It crosses quality, it crosses supply chain, it crosses security, everything. And the number of product recalls, especially safety recalls that we have been experiencing the past couple of years has drastically increased yet again. And why are we seeing so many vehicles being recalled? Because we do not have automated systems to manage traceability, which is completely ridiculous in the technology that exists today. I mean, even the technology that existed five years or 10 years ago, we should have absolute traceability on all of the parts that are on the vehicle so that we don't have these massive recall campaigns for safety issues. But that's just like one example right there, not to mention internally the lack of visibility and coordination of what's happening. You know, if I'm having problems in my one of my production processes and producing a bunch of scrap or running behind, the only way my planners in supply chain know about it is when they go to the weekly scheduling meeting or, oops, we don't have the product to send to the customer and now we're going to have to premium freight or call the customer and tell them that they're going to have to wait. So there's a tremendous risk to the overall industry, but also the individual manufacturers by not adopting the automation as part of their quality systems as well. That's one of the reasons why we've produced two episodes now with Mike Payonk from Penn Engineering with his automated quality management system. And there's a reason why those two episodes are 
some of our highest number of downloads is because I think it's really resonating with people. And Terry, you can respond to this better than I, but my gut feeling tells me, and from the interviews that we've had with Mike, is that they made a decision to do it because it's the right thing to do. They didn't do it because they were trying to conform to a standard or something. They just did it because they could see the benefit. Absolutely. And you read my mind. That is something we have to fix in our culture because the, the tier ones complain. The OEMs are always telling me what to do. But then if you don't tell them what to do, the tier ones won't do it. And I love the fact that Penn Engineering did that because they thought it was right. It wasn't even mandated to them. That's a visionary CEO. That's a company that gets it. I don't have to have my customer tell me. I inherently know it's the right thing to do. And I go and do it. But we're stuck in this culture of people. No, the OEM's got to mandate it. No, they don't. You can go do whatever you want to do that's good for your business. It's your business. It's your culture. And it's your decision as to where you're going to invest your money, your time, and your effort. And Penn Engineering made a decision to invest in the QMS, which, oh, by the way, resulted in an impact, a positive impact to their bottom line. So when people think about technology, I think they think, oh, yeah, that, that's nice to have, but we got to cut costs. You know, we, we've got to just protect our margin here. But you have to look toward the future. And if you don't get out of the weeds and start to look at the future, and the future is, I mean, it's coming at us fast and furious, right? The level of transformation in this industry. And these investments needed to be made yesterday, and if you're not making these investments in technology and in your processes and in your people, now, 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 now is the time to make them. How can we help our listeners? Where can they, they get the five-step roadmap and the 24 supply chain processes? We had put out two ebooks back um, about a year or so ago that describes the overall approach to supply chain focus in the automotive supply chain. And within our ebooks, I think it's the second ebook in particular, we introduced this five step roadmap for the industry as well as for individual organizations that are part of the automotive supply chain to become more supply chain focused and really look at the processes of supply chain that are essential to their business the people, what they need to do to get their people aligned with that supply chain focus and competent in managing those processes. I'm going to call it the profitability piece, which is looking strategically at the business from a supply chain perspective, and then also from the technology standpoint. And Terry, your organization has just a number of case studies, not just from an automated quality management system, but really the integration of quality supply chain and other aspects of the business that are so important to supply chain. Yes. And then Kathy and I actually offer an assessment to really bring your quality supply chain and IT together. And that has been really fruitful. We find nuggets very quickly, don't we, Kathy? It doesn't yeah. take long. And I think a lot of the times just getting the right people together because somebody maybe in supply chain doesn't know, oh, there's that capability in our ERP. I had no idea I could do that, right? Or somebody in quality doesn't understand the requirements on supply chain. And by bringing those three groups together, and it's not like Kathy and I spend days and weeks and weeks of consulting. Kathy, I think most cases we've been able to come up with nuggets in probably eight hours or less. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, And that's probably looking at maybe three different areas. 
to go after where people are having problems. So it's just getting the right people in the room led by people that understand the processes and where you might go find that information and trying to pull the pieces together. Because again, a lot of people are new. We really help to guide that process. But I'm amazed how many things that we have found for people without even having to go dig too far for anything to help make improvements in their processes. One organization, um, I think they're like maybe a tier two, tier three that we met with and looked at three of the essential supply chain processes that they had selected that they wanted some help on. And uh, by the end of our time with them, they saw a whole new business model for their operations, a completely different way of operating their business from a supply chain focus and really strategically viewing their business as a supply chain. They could see a whole new business model for how they were going to operate. And we've applied this in other industries, too, like life sciences and industrial. So it's not just an automotive thing. We've taken our processes as is and helped other industries apply them. But in general, they're all the same. Kathy, I had a, what, a jewelry manufacturer, somebody that was it, made towels. Towels. <laughs> How long does this assessment take? Yeah, normally the way the, the assessment works is we ask the organization to select between one and three of the 24 essential supply chain processes where they feel they're having issues, where they say, hey, this is either an area of my business that is missing or it's something that I think is contributing to our organization's negative delivery performance or customer perception. And by having an interview with a cross-functional group, so it usually includes their quality, their supply chain, their IT, and optimally having their plant leadership, like a plant manager or that, involved as well, interviewing them after we spend maybe a couple of hours reviewing any documentation that they may already have regarding those activities, we're able to discover just like Terry was saying, amazing things like technology that's sitting there latently that they don't even know is available, you know, that, that they could just like flip a switch tomorrow and yeah. <laughs> IT has shut things off. And we've had CIOs <laughs> exactly. say, oh my gosh, what else has been shut off? And maybe that's why ERP gets a bad rap because people have shut things off and they don't yep. know. So they think their ERP can't do it. So <gasps> yeah, so true. So true. You know, we never, we've never talked about this assessment before. Can I come with you on one? I want to yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we, you know, we do some of them virtually. Sometimes we'll actually go um, visit the client, you know, at their site. It just very much depends on their availability in that as well. But in some cases, like Terry said, it'll be, we'll spend two to three hours, uh, maybe in a couple of uh, online sessions with them, or we'll go on site and spend a half day to a day. One organization I was mentioning that we um, visited, they started with three of the essential supply chain processes. And by the end of the day, like we said, they had identified a brand new business model. And we had really covered almost all of the 24 in that whole day, just because one topic leads to the next, leads to the next. And you start seeing that interrelationship of those processes. And that's really valuable to the organization because then they start to recognize, this is why I need to automate. So I connect these data streams and can have that real-time visibility of what's happening in my business. One example, too, that we had was a newer person at, a, at an automotive tier two going after tier one business. And he was sending purchase orders. So he's sending lots of them. Why are you sending purchase orders? You should be sending a scheduled order. It's repetitive. You shouldn't need to be sending POs. And 
when he found that out, his eyes just lit up. And I said, well, how many days of work do you think this will save you? And didn't he say, Kathy, nine days? He was being <laughs> exaggerating, obviously, but just those types of things. But again, you get new people in there. They don't, they may have come from another industry, don't understand there's something as a scheduled order. Even in life sciences, that was one of our recommendations for them. They never heard of a scheduled order. So it's these little things like that that are just gold to them in time savings. I love it. I love the idea of the assessment. Is there a cost for that? No, we, we do that a complimentary, mainly because we're really encouraging this movement towards a supply chain focus within the uh, industry. And we see that as organizations start with those three processes and recognize how quickly they can improve their business. They're, they can improve their delivery performance. They can improve their customer satisfaction. But more importantly, they can improve their efficiency of how they're operating internally, especially by leveraging their technology. That's worth it to us because that's going to help the industry in the long run. The first request that we get after the first person, <laughs> the first company that, that downloads the request for the assessment, I want to come on that yeah. one, okay? Yeah, absolutely. We do have a stipulation, though. We do want you to have your plant manager, your quality manager, supply chain manager, and IT. Because if you're not going to commit to those people, it's not going to happen. One of the things that we've also recognized, which is the value of having the plant leadership sitting in on that discussion, is they see the importance of breaking down the silos. And the silo breaking happens, you know, before we even show up because we're inviting all those people to the table. And then as the conversation starts, there's, oh, I've got some of this, I've got some of this, let's bring it together instead of having two separate processes. And, oh, well, we've got a solution, we're just not using it. Well, that is a perfect way to bring it full circle and close out our episode today. I'm excited to join both of you on this next assessment. I can't wait. It'll we be exciting to, to see who it's going to be, which company's ready to embrace transformation. All right. Well, listen, ladies, have a fantastic week and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jan. Bye. Bye, Terry. Bye. Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how or click the link in the show notes below.